Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 312 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's Thursday night. Maybe it's Friday morning where you are. Perhaps it's the weekend. It could be Monday or a dreary Tuesday or a dead Wednesday. I don't know. You tell us. You can get us at No Encore Show on Twitter or patreon.com slash no encore. Craig Fitzpatrick joins me this week. That was amazing. It started off like a Pet Shop Boys song and then turned into a plug for our Patreon. Um... Yeah, interesting start. I'm enjoying it. I wanted to get it out of the way. But also, we will be recording a new episode of No Oxcord very soon, I hope. Yeah. I'm just trying to put the... End, end of the month, I would say. Just trying to put some finishing I touches. I those Sunday mornings. It's a nice, chill vibe. Yeah. Unlike these Thursday nights where it's all business. All business all the time on the music show that will bring you music news, a music review, and a top five this week. And this week's top five, Craig, was one that you came up with. What are we doing this week? It's in the title of the show, but why don't you expand upon it, you know? Yeah, top five songs named after places. So it's essentially songs that have place names in the titles. And I think that's it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Nicely <laughs> done. Pretty much it. And it stems from, I feel at this point, giving the logic of the top five decisions is a bit redundant. I don't know if people need it, but sure, what the hell, we're reviewing Mitski. It's Laurel Hell being the album and the opener is Valentine, Texas. So I think initially, Dave, we were looking at Valentine's Day themes. Yes. We were listening on that Monday post-show and um, we were going to go with like Auntie Love Songs Part 2. We were going to do our first ever sequel, yeah. Two years ago, uh, the first yeah. time we ever did a top five, we did top five have Auntie Love Songs. Have we not done a songs. sequel yet? I don't think we have, no. 
And Craig talked well, me out of it. Now. <laughs> Craig yeah, said, no, that's lazy content. I was listening content. to the song Valentine, Texas, and I thought, <laughs> this is named after a place. I wonder what other songs are named after places. Can I organise them into a top five? Sure, no, it's and a good shout. it turns shout. out I barely can. Well, I actually had fun with it this week, but uh, I will say, I think, you know, we're two years into doing the top fives. I think we're ripe for a sequel. I, I, yeah. I don't think it'll be scraping the bottom what of the barrel. What ones do you reckon are near the top of the list? I think we should do overrated albums again because the top five most overrated albums that we did in line with the Fiona Apple record two years ago now at this stage is one of my favourite top fives and it contains maybe my Craig's my favourite Craig uh, top five entry in which you went on a tear about LCD sound system and how overrated they are and it's wonderful you wonderful, just enjoy wonderful. me ranting That's I do like, yeah. you don't do it enough you're too nice so listen um, Mitski yeah. review coming up later on in the show top five songs named after places or with place names in the title uh, before we get going with the music news though uh, I think it's. I, I think we should um, have a moment of celebration because it, there's an important day today on the Thursday that oh, we're recording. Yeah. So if you if you allow me, Craig, I'll just take the mic here and I will say that a wonderful woman, an incredible soul, who has given I think the art world, the world of pop culture, so much so far. And fans of this show will be very familiar with as well. Of course, I want to say yes. happy birthday to Laura Dern of Twin Peaks. She is, it's her birthday today. We love her. Happy She's birthday, Laura. 55 years young. I thought she was older than that. But um, nonetheless, uh, wonderful actor. Wonderful human being. It's a David big Lynch's muse. It's a huge occasion. And I, we couldn't let the day go by and without you know, calling it that a very big, specific birthday. A big part of this show, I feel, because we talk about David Lynch a lot, but I feel like Laura Dern's presence is just always kind of hovering. She's had input in a certain way. It was only right that we marked the day. Yeah, she's a wonderful, wonderful human being. I'd like to think, Craig, that she's in fact a friend of the show at this stage, you know? <laughs> Very much so. Someone we can call yeah. upon when needed. Um, at this point, I'd like to also say, oh, it's also Zara Hedeman's birthday today as well, so happy birthday to her. Oh, yeah, yeah, happy yeah. birthday, Zara. Yeah, super sub. Serious, though, on a serious note, because she'll kill us. Happy 30th birthday to Zara Hedeman, uh, no encore's favourite super sub, a stalwart of the show, an incredible leading light in the Irish music scene when it comes to journalism and general yeah. hot takes and sass and scandooch and all that kind of stuff. We love Zara. You will, of course, be familiar with her from appearing on the show numerous times uh, over the years, most recently when she subbed in for me and, of course, on our end of your episodes. So the thing about Zara is she's very modest and she doesn't like to talk about having a birthday or make any kind of fuss whatsoever. So so I hope she won't mind us calling her out in this in this fashion and just you know saying that we're big fans of Zara Hedeman. We love you to bits and happy 30th yeah. birthday. It's only downhill from here, as both Craig and I can I was, attest. If I was going to be the one to bring it up, I was going to go with the old switcheroo of the Manic Street Preachers debut album, Generation Terrorist, turns 30 today. Um, but yeah, I like your Laura, Laura Dern swerve. It was very nicely worked. And I'm sure Zara will appreciate that. I'm sure she will. And I'm sure she'll appreciate us moving swiftly to the news. <laughs> Hey, you heard about the good news? So, Craig. God, that was swift. <laughs> it was very swift. Love you, Adam. <laughs> there was no technical flub whatsoever. You've never seen Adam move so quickly. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, but is it wonderful, Craig, what is happening in the world of football, in the world of music? You will recall some time ago, I actually had a, a special guest on the show last year, Reese DeBron, talking us through the potential of Spotify buying Arsenal or like kind of yeah. taking over the club. That didn't pan out, but it does seem that Barcelona are getting into bed with Daniel Ek. So it looks like a big sponsorship deal is happening. The streaming platform is expected to pay 280 million euro 
um, to essentially give the rights for a shirt sponsorship and to name to rename the new camp. So Camp New, yeah, Camp New. Um, Spotify, of course, in the news a lot lately for not really good reasons. Barcelona for so long never even had a sponsor, and everyone, you know, hilarious. The, the whole the sense of Barcelona, <laughs> the whole incredible Mescaun club thing. Um, I've always found Barcelona to be arrogant and uh, annoying, despite having some of the best footballers of all time play 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 for them over the years. Um, is this a match made in heaven, hell, or otherwise? And in fairness, you know, we're not going to get in too deep into the weeds here on football because it's a music podcast, but. Barcelona need the money, I think, at this stage. They seem to desperately need the money. Um, yeah, like in years gone by, it was just, didn't, didn't they give, give space to UNICEF? Because it was just like, we're not going to, you know, be paid um, for sponsorship or anything like that. So they were kind of like advocating for great causes. And this is one of the, I guess, lesser <laughs> controversial moves they've made in recent times, probably, which says a lot about their dealings. I mean, there's been links with Qatar and all of that and of course so many big clubs are funded um, by oil countries and that's a whole different ball game so Spotify I mean not great but um, not shocking that this would go through it's interesting that the um, the title rights it's going to be known as like a surname for the stadium so I don't know I don't know if it quite says how it's going to be phrased but it's going to be like will it be Camp New Spotify Will it be Spotify Camp New? Will it be like with Spotify? I, I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's isn't a, the, it's a um, fair is, whack of money. For, fair whack of money. It's a bit of cash. Uh, they keep buying players yeah. despite not apparently having the money to do so. I don't really understand it. Uh, isn't Which the uh, buy some United ones? But yes, uh, <laughs> isn't the <laughs> turned into a football podcast? My, isn't the staple center in LA like the crypto dot com center now or something? It's I become think. the crypto dot com center. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck's um, sake. <laughs> but you know what? I think they crypto dot com. It's you know what? It's the dot com that absolutely kills that, isn't it? It's just so brutal. It's like if you went crypto center it might be a bit kind of blade runner but crypto.com is the name um but i i remember that deal was i think 700 million dollars or something approaching that Jesus. and they've got it for like 20 years though oh, so no. this deal this deal is like nearly 300 million and it's only for i think three years so staple center i would have assumed would be due to its kind of prominence in la the bigger deal than camp new but apparently not i don't know Certainly not in this running order. But of course, no. uh, Neil Young won't be happy because he's not letting it go, Craig. He, of course, took his music off the platform along with yeah. Joni Mitchell and several other artists at this stage now. There is a there is a growing movement there in response to the platforming of misinformation, Joe Rogan podcast. We talked about it last week. You know yeah. the score. Uh, but Neil Young has gone a little bit further. He put out another statement and encouraged not people to just leave Spotify as a platform, but Spotify employees to quit their jobs. What do you think about this? <laughs> He's rallied against all of the big major companies while at the same time continuing to point his fans towards Amazon, which of course has been criticised in its own way for, you know, working conditions, not being great with trade unions, all of that jazz. But I guess you can't take them all on. You can just take 99% of them on. So yeah, he, he put out this statement that says, join me as I move my money away from the damage causers or you will unintentionally be one of them. And he said, yeah, I, I think it was interesting. He kind of spotlighted the fact that baby boomers which like has been one of the things like people online have been kind of mocking Neil Young for it's just like oh only the baby boomers care about your music not being on Spotify etc etc and he was like he literally calls out baby boomers and says you know you control whatever it is 95% of the wealth in America as opposed to like 5% for millennials whatever that figure is it's it's 
shocking to be quite honest but he's like you can use that power um that you have uh, to kind of really make a difference and he says divest from major american banks so get out of the banking system like city wells fargo chase bank of america to be honest i'm kind of with him but i do also wonder is there going to be like you know buy my nft coming in a statement soon maybe not i don't know it's just like when we talked about this last week i brought up um him being on howard stern a bit before christmas and me having to listen and him yeah really going in on the fact that just kind of vaguely apocalyptic pronouncements about what covid says about what we're doing to the planet overall and how we really need to do something a bit more drastic and he kind of had a like tear it all down for the sake of our grandchildren message so this was never really just about spotify for him i would imagine and he even says in a statement that you like joe rogan isn't really the problem it's daniel Eck. it's the whole kind of system um so yeah real kind of incendiary stuff i wonder will people keep listening or did you know was that the new story with the rogan thing when it happened and now like after everyone's like yeah go for it neil He's continuing to talk as people file away to the next story. I don't know. Oh, 100%. The news cycle moves very quickly. And I mean, ultimately, like, you know, like we said last week in terms of the whole Spotify thing, like, you know, it's, it's up to you. Do what you want. I'm not going to judge anybody who stays on the platform for now, at least. And I do find it funny as well. Yeah, you that... consider yourself a bit of a libertarian, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Center right, Craig, I yeah, believe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. No, no, like... no. That's a joke, folks. <laughs> That's a, just a gag, guys. Just a gag. Um, I, I do find it funny, though, that people are like, <laughs> goodbye spotify that's the last dollar you're getting from me i'm going to apple music and it's like cool yeah no problems there good, good I stuff know. i may have made that guy last when week apple are remember. the good guys what well, are we doing who uh, i just want to hear music mate but you know there's some music that people don't want to hear craig and um, you know roddy rich this week found that out to his heartbreak uh the hit maker of the box from a couple of years ago a song by the way that Such i a good song see, i don't know oh, if i know song. it i don't know if i know but i know oh, that you, wait, what i'm serious adam the can box. you uh, I'm gonna get <laughs> that's me doing the hook. I'm gonna get Adam to dial up this song real fast. Dial okay. up this song real fast with your Napster internet in 2000, baby. AOL, uh. get it done. Got milk? I don't know what's happened to me. I'm very tired this week. I'm completely wiped. But like, yeah, I'm sure I do know this song. I know that you're a fan of it though, because I remember we talked about it before. And I will explain. I felt it was one of those songs where I felt like I really fell between the cracks in like our end of year listings because it came out. I think it was one of those ones that like came out in in late December. Here you go. Here we go. Wait for it. <laughs> Love it. It's so good. Ah, oh, I don't know this. Performances I well. don't think. Do you not know this? No. You'll know it when you ki- when it kicks in. Here we go. Let it kick in, Adam. Oh, I do know this. One of the best songs that I hear. Is it though? Yeah, it was the it was like the blinding lights of the year previously, where I was like, "This is huge," and we're not going to reference it in any of our end of year lists. Well, I you know, we yeah, got so to it, kind of we got to it eventually via news story. Basically, long story short, guys, Roddy Rich uh, put up a new song during the week. Uh, it was called "Out My Mind." This is last weekend. Um, within a few hours, he, de- he deactivated his Twitter and posted a peace sign emoji on his Instagram story. Said, guess I'm, a, guess I'm a flop now because people didn't like the song. And then he deleted his Instagram as well. Within so, hours. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Oh, that's very sad. He's very talented. I mean, I spent a bit of time with that debut record and it was very good. Um, I enjoyed him on Donda last year. Mm-hmm. It was on Pure Souls. It was really good. Uh, 
appearance. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, but I mean, now, I laugh because Twitter is spoken and it's over. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I laugh because of just like the drama of it. But at the same time, you know, I didn't investigate the exact uh, messages that were coming his way because I don't have access to his now deleted social media accounts. But I can imagine. Not yet, anyway. You're not yet, anyway. I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah. We're making those calls. But here's the thing. Essentially, it's one of those things where. I have to imagine he was met with a litany of toxic stuff, probably from his own fans, which is reflective, of course, of the ongoing horror show that is. Do you see this week the Oscar nominations are out, Craig, and Lady Gaga wasn't nominated for House of Gucci, which is the correct move because she is fucking terrible in that film. But everyone was convinced, including her, that I think so, judging by her kind of, you know, patter in the pre-awards build-up and all the interviews right, and stuff. Right. I think everyone thought she'd be nominated and she wasn't. And of course, within seconds, the Twitter hive were not pleased. And we're expressing that in a very vociferous way. This is culture now. This is how people don't talk to each other. And it's never going to end, is it? It's culture and Twitter. I think people need to get away from Twitter. I think Roddy Rich has the right idea. And I hope he's like, he's done it for reasons of just being like, do you know what? This is absolute nonsense, social media. I'm going to go and relax and be happy and satisfied with the work I've just done and not listen to this Drek, I don't know. The, the more and more I open Twitter, the more and more I'm just like, oh yeah, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. there's a, you know, every fifth or sixth time you open it, you get like a good joke or something. You know, Dave, you might have posted something funny or sure. you know, one of the other people this might have been to ran off Twitter for, <laughs> for pissing yeah. people off by accident. But generally, it's just people looking for really hot takes and they end up being tepid takes. And I'm just like, I can't. This is not a conversation I need to have. To Do you have a favourite tweet of all time? I think if, if pushed, I think I'd have to go with the one where someone just said, I'm bleeding out, Scoob. And that was the entire tweet. <laughs> it just it just I've raises seen that. it just raises so many questions. It's perfect. I think my favorite is um, Wayne Rooney's outpouring of grief after Whitney Houston passed away. That's pretty good. Yeah, where you co- really couldn't believe it, and you wanted to run to her. Um, I also liked when he was trying to use Twitter on, in the early days to offer Rio Ferdinand a lift. Do you want picking up, mate? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also and, the one. There's uh, the one. Danny Dyer's stuff, of course. Yeah, freaks just, still freaks my nose out to this still day. Still freaks my out to this there's day. There's also that one yeah. where, like, um, someone posted the artwork for Madonna's. I think it's her MDMA album or something, and it was like MDMA album, and it's like she's behind like frosted kind of stained glass that looks like giving her like a different perspective for each one and someone's yeah. like oh no madonna's at my grand's house again <laughs> oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm so spot on it's very very good twitter's great twitter's excellent get on twitter now, everybody yeah. twitter.com <laughs> sign up now um someone who i assume has been uh staying away from twitter to focus on interesting creative things and someone who has a fresh oscar nomination under his belt craig is johnny greenwood of radiohead fame He's nominated this week for his score for The Power of the Dog, which actually leads the Oscar nominations with 12 individual nods. Uh, it was very Pac-Kenny over there. I have seen nods. it. I'm going to guess that you didn't like the film. I think it's excellent. How dare oh, you? Oh, well, okay. Here's have you not seen it? No, it's on Netflix. I haven't seen it, but I, I saw some people kicking against the really? praise it was getting. And I was just like, this seems like it might be... The sense I got was that it was a film that was kind of engineered to you know clean up at awards and you might have found that cynical not see I didn't actually get I'll check it out I didn't get that vibe from it at all I must say I can understand it to a degree but I didn't didn't feel that way for me and I was reticent to watch it because I was like this is going to be like a long two hours slow burn kind of western tempestuous stuff and it is all that but I have to say it's pretty excellent and I like I for example like Benedict Cumberbatch is on my list of I would enemies. rather not watch of what enemies, yeah. Uh, I would rather not watch it if he's in it. Like if I see like him or like James Franco or like someone else, I'm just like, yeah, like I don't want to see this. Danny McBride, but like 
Benedict Cumberbatch is fucking brilliant in this film. Like, excellent. Mm, Everyone's okay. really good in it. It's great. It's well worth seeing. Check it out. And the score by Johnny Greenwood, who now has quite the collection of film scores under his belt, is phenomenal. He's a hell of a musician, isn't he? Hot take. He's tremendously good. He's, um, yeah. It's It's gotten quite boring how talented he is <laughs> i feel like he just gets nominated for at least an oscar every single year <laughs> at this point well um i haven't heard any of the the new side project stuff with him and tom york have you i haven't no like i believe um seemed interesting but yeah i believe good friend of the show and a former hopper's colleague of ours andrew duffy went over to see one of those gigs i saw his instagram stories and at first oh, i didn't even know who the fuck they were i was like what is this incredible stage for this band I've never heard of. Oh, it's it's Tom York and Johnny Greenwood doing his side yeah, project. The Smile, is that it? The Smile, so, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. them. So why don't you take us back, though, to the early days of Johnny Greenwood in the Radiohead practice space, which didn't sound quite as glamorous as his yeah, current surrounding. Yeah, when he f- first met Tom York, he kind of buries his mate here a little bit, doesn't he? Um, a little bit, yeah. He's talking about uh, a little JP played. Um, not the JP, you know, Richie Egan, but um, a joke. So... <laughs> The quote here to MVR is Tom's band had a keyboard player uh, whom I think they didn't get on with because he played his keyboard so loud. So Johnny says, when I got the chance to play with them, the first thing I did was make sure my keyboard was turned off. I must have done months of rehearsals with them with this keyboard and they didn't know that I'd already turned it off, which is just like hilarious. Fair enough. Um, it's an interesting way to go. It's a left field thing you would expect. Even when he's not playing, he's being Johnny Greenwood. But he continues... <laughs> This is where it gets interesting. Um, Tom York didn't notice that he wasn't playing at first. And Greenwood explains this by saying they made quite a racket, quite a noise. It was all guitars and distortion. And so I'd pretend to play for weeks on end. And Tom would say, I can't quite hear what you're doing, but I think you're adding a really interesting (laughs) texture. (laughs) I can feel it. Oh man, because I can tell when you're not playing. <laughs> and Johnny says, and I'm thinking, no, you can't, because I'm really not playing. And he says he'd go home in like the evening and work out what the actual chords were and like figure it out over the next few months and start turning the keyboard up slowly. And that's how he started in Radiohead. So it was like, yeah, mute it till you make it or something like that, I guess. But <laughs> really buries Tom there. It's like very pretentious and exactly what you'd expect of a young Tom York, I guess. Have you ever had that thing before? Like I had it recently with somebody where I asked them what their favourite Leonard Cohen song was and they said to me, new or old? And I misheard them and I went, yeah, that's a great one. And then they were like, what the fuck? And then she was like, why did you? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. In the, I, like, I yeah, don't know. I social awkwardness. Kind of yeah, Real time conversation. You're just like, what can I say? Like your brain is just like, just agree with whatever the statement yeah. is and we can move on to the next Your brain thing. just yeah, short circuits. Like, I wasn't trying to be pretentious. I genuinely was like, I think it was like a, just a, a, a reflexive reaction. It wasn't like, I'm in the workman's and I'm like, yeah, baby. It was more of me being like, I just don't know what to say now and I've completely yeah. fucked up here. I'm sure it's happened numerous times. Did you get to times. the bottom of the actual favourite song? No, uh, I didn't. I need Jesus. to. We swiftly moved on and hopefully, hopefully I can find that out. It can be like a long-term project or something. Uh, we can go from Okay, there. report back. We'll make it a feature. I will Seeing report. As we're dumping eternally optimistic Craig Corner. Are we? I didn't. I didn't want to do that, and we will report back. But I will report lastly in the news section this week something that is kind of optimistic in a way. Oh, okay. All right. Um, you know, it's obviously it comes off the back of a horrible, sad story. But of course, Sophie, the amazing electronic pioneer, passed away last year, I believe. Um, I don't know what time it is yeah. anymore. Sorry, but uh, really, really sad. Like an, an, an exceptional original innovative talent and just gone way way too soon and still hurts i think an awful lot of people but 
I guess in in something of good news in relation to this story, uh, a fan petition went around asking for a circumbinary exoplanet to be named after Sophie. And now the International Astronomical Union's working group Small Body Nomenclature, this is, an, this is apparently an organization, has now officially named an asteroid after Sophie. Originally dubbed Ori-1, it was discovered in 1980 by Antonin Mirkos at the Clef, Klet Observatory in the Czech Republic. It's now known as Sophiexion, and they said. And can I just congratulate you on navigating that paragraph there? Dave? I didn't do it very well. I got there in the end, but it wasn't great. Uh, here's a quote: Sophie was known as an electronic music pioneer whose futuristic style changed the landscape of pop music in the early 21st century. Sophie has influenced so many of us, and now she will forever be part of the cosmos, which I think is quite beautiful. And I think that it's fantastic. Makes sense yeah. in a weird, fucked up way. Very uh, fitting. So yeah, um, it's nice. I just hope. Because my initial thought was, can't you kind of like buy stars, like get a certificate and just like name them after someone online? On the blockchain. Do you know what I mean? Just that the name of the group, the International Astronomical Union's Working Group Small Body Nomenclature, like WGSBN, obviously. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It sounds like, you know. Morning radio show. WGSBN. Coming up, the someone from that group might spend four hours on like Joe Rogan explaining why like Saturn is rising and the end is near. I don't know. Okay, but they're legit. Eternal Optimus we Craig really legit. isn't here this week, is he? Um, fair enough. Well, listen. Here's what we'll do. We'll go from the stars above to the hell below. It's time for Mitski's oh, new record. It's called yes, Laurel I Hell. Love that transition, <laughs> and I've ruined it, but it was worth it. <laughs> here's Mitski's new album. Let's listen to it, and then we'll review it. <laughs> So that's Love Me More. It's the most recent single taken from Laurel Hell, the sixth studio album from Mitski, Japanese-American singer-songwriter, very acclaimed. I've seen Mitski live twice. She puts yeah. on a hell of a show, coming off the back of some very interesting albums that emerged over the last few years. And here to tell us more about Mitski, who she is, what she's about, and what this album is about is Craig Fitzpatrick. You've done a very good job already, but yeah, it's definitely, it's fair to say her critical stock has risen with each of the last two or three records. Um, Such that I think there was a lot of stuff released um, over the past week or so, and there was a few different options. And this just felt very kind of zeitgeisty and something we should go with, as opposed to, you know, Animal Collective or something like that. But um, yeah, she's a decade into her recording career now. Started off with two self-released albums. which led to like a double whammy deal for Bury Me at Make Out Creek in 2014, which is just a great title and a great record. And then she's been on Dead Oceans for the last two, which is like when she really kind of came to prominence of Puberty 2. And Be the Cowboy, I think, was maybe the one that made her more of a mainstream deal. And yeah, it was that was an interesting one because it was a bit of a grab bag in, you know, the best possible sense. It was kind of genre defying. Um It took in country rock, punk, funk, chamber pop, uh, 
I think I saw the th- tag um, Techno Surf applied to one or two of the tracks, <laughs> which is fair enough. And it's just gotten lots of end of year lists. I presume ours. I can't remember. It was, it, it was, in, it was in our top five it's, it's uh, debate that year. Five, I, believe, <laughs> I believe alongside, if I recall correctly, and this is off the top of my head, I think Kidsy Ghost was in there. I think John Hopkins yeah, yeah. was in there. I know that Young Fathers triumphed overall, and I can't remember what the fifth record was. I do apologize, but it was definitely Daytona, in top was five. It? it might have been Daytona. It might have been. It should have been. Yeah. But did great business and she's back now and it's um it's interesting that I just noticed in the notes she's got Dan Wilson working on some of the tracks, which is interesting. The semi sonic dude who also co wrote um Someone Like You with Adele and I'm just like I'm sorry, it's a total aside, but I'm like, this guy is doing really well for himself after <laughs> Semi Sonic had a hit or two in the nineties. <laughs> that cheered me up. But Maybe he's still important. perhaps he's still you could say Craig, he's feeling strangely fine. In 2022. Oh, lovely. You're on fire. Um, Getting back to Mitski. um, So she's talked about this being an album that is about kind of love songs that concern real relationships that aren't like power struggles to be won or lost, she says. Uh, Quote here from her press release, I needed songs that could help me forgive both others and myself. I make mistakes all the time. I don't want to put on a front where I'm a role model, but I'm also not a bad person. I need to create this space mostly for myself where I sat in that grey area. And it is a record that has a very defined mood, I think. She's doing interesting stuff. The kind of synths are back. She's going in that 80s pop direction that so many artists are these days. And it is... I found it kind of tough to get a handle on thematically and sonically at times. How did you deal with it? How did you get on with it? Well, Craig, I found it tough to get a handle on it thematically and sonically at times. And I, f- I thought that the move into 80s pop was a bit of a, oh, really? You're doing this? Because as you say... Yeah, because everyone's doing it. This is the yeah. thing. And you say, I, you use the phrase, there's so many artists. And like, Mitski to me is not so many artists. She's kind of singular. Yeah. I, I hate to say it. I think this is a bit of a disappointment. Um, it's kind of... Like, I can see what you're doing and I appreciate the shoot for the stars element of it at times. And even like the clip I had there, like it's a bit of a bop and there are bops here and there are like, uh, it's the idea of not getting a handle on it. Like not only that, but like I find, I find myself, it's short enough. It's like 32 minutes, it's 11 tracks, but like I found myself constantly this week when I was listening to it being like, wait, that it's over. It's going back into working for the knife because Spotify is just replaying the first single off this record, which is also a really good song. But yeah, it. I don't think it has much of a substantive quality to it which is odd from her yeah i mean i will say god bless her because like you know particularly on this show we prize um concise records and like the last one was i think 32 minutes this is more or less the same as you say i felt last go round it worked because there was so many tracks and so much happening and so many different ideas and it was also vibrant and just kind of brimming with creativity that the short tracks just added to this great patchwork and made it kind of really memorable and something you just wanted to hit play on again. But I actually felt the approach she was going for this time where there is that definite kind of gloomy mood that like pervades everything. I think it could have done with more like, I don't know, it seems weird to say because I don't think this is her strongest set of songs, but at the same time, I felt like some of them could have done with you know being extended and just letting some of those kind of moods and those palettes and those soundscapes just kind of play out a bit more as I was trying to get a handle on you know what the location of the record was or 
I've been listening to like The Cure a lot the last couple of weeks. <laughs> you okay? That says about my mental state. <laughs> I'm not officially in spring yet, Dave. Um, yeah, but I'm getting there. Nobody it's is. It's been good. The Cure were great. The Cure are the wonderful, 80s. and they have got some upbeat songs. It's a bit of a you know they totally do cliche um, to suggest otherwise. But having been rinsing like the likes of Fate and Disintegration, listening to this, you know five or six times true. I was like, okay, this is Mitski's kind of Cure album. And it's got like that imposing gloomy atmosphere. It's dealing in kind of shade and like shadows. And the pop moments are like at its best in this like uncanny valley where like the synths are kind of primitive and her kind of complexity of composition works quite well. But then there's other moments where, I don't know, I felt like she's very aware now of her being a bigger name and striving for a bit of immediacy and like a wider audience. And the straighter kind of 80s synth pop songs here are kind of anonymous, right? And I feel like other people are maybe doing them better. And like on a song like The Only Heartbreaker, for example, which is a single, I was like, this could have dropped off like the John Mayer, like pastiche <laughs> sob rock record from last year. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's well constructed, but it's just the chorus is like very first draft sing the title and all the elements around it feel so pastiche when usually she is so Mitski, as you say. And so like there, there's, there is the potential, I think, for greatness here, which is kind of frustrating, as I say, working for the knife is I think that could end up being one of the tracks of the year. I like the kind of tone it sets. Um, and there's kind of, uh, there's glimpses of that throughout the record, but it's never quite fully explored. And suddenly you're diving back into something that is kind of anonym- anonymous and just lyrically, it's not as kind of distinct and vibrant as some of the past stuff she's written. Love Me More, I think is tremendous. I mean, there's glimpses of greatness here because it's Mitski. But yeah, I was kind of, I felt like I was putting a lot of work into trying to understand this record and elevate it to a place because I do think I do think the idea is quite nice and I do think within that realm of that kind of 80s gloom and those kind of toxic themes she's dealing with in a really kind of standoffish way there's something kind of gothic and cool that could be done and there's some tracks like that but overall it ends up being this kind of nondescript fog um so yeah it's not i was willing it to be this kind of doomy masterpiece and it's very much not well I'll, the first thing i'll say craig is working for the knife will absolutely not be anywhere near no encores end of year tracks because it came out in you- 2021 and as a matter oh, of fact maybe oh, it's time oh, oh, don't do it don't do it i'm, I'm doing it maybe, maybe it's time to finally to finally bring this not up on sarah's birthday I'm doing it. I have to do it because there's no better link. Yes. In No Encore's End of Year Songs 2021, unfortunately, an error was made. And uh, I guess we can all hold our hands up. We all missed it we somehow. We had, had a song that came out in 1976. Don't no, know we, had song that, we had Scratch Card Lanyard by Dry Cleaning, which in fact came out in late 2020. It should not have been in the songs list, but it was. And I think the, I think the Not A Nine podcast had a similar thing. Maybe there was just some weird glamour yeah, in play. Maybe we all under just, the bus as well. I'm not throwing it? them under the bus. I'm just saying that like it's... <laughs> I don't think either of us were trying to make some kind of Blinding Lights-esque point where we were like, yeah, we know it came out in 2019, but it's just such a banger in 2020. No, no, we don't subscribe to that logic and I don't think the online podcast does either I think it just flew under the radar and I think because it wasn't one of my selections I'm off the hook because no I should have checked it myself and I didn't check it I just assumed that it was in fact the lead single off a popular album that came out in that year and it was a mistake to make these things well, happen time has no meaning I feel like 2020 and 2021 were just the same year sure and you know into this year it's just like 
I can see that. Um, it's been one big long year full of great music. Yeah. <laughs> Good songs. Um, yeah, I agree with you and I hate that I am agreeing with you. I was surprised at how... <laughs> I know what you meant, but we need to take that clip. I just hate... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just can't stand it when we're on the same page, bro. Uh, no, I just, I, I think Misky fucking rules and I think this album's just kind of there and I didn't think it would be and it kind of is and I think that, again, Dave's rubbish old argument but, like, I, you know, whether it is a ascendancy to the mainstream to some degree, uh, I think if she's, there's a lot of goodwill for Misky right now. She's very popular and rightly so. She rules. But I do think some people have been a bit kind of overawed by her personality on this record when... I think the last two, I think like Be the Cowboy and Puberty 2 in particular are just streets ahead of this. It's fine. It's slight. It's 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 grand. Like she doesn't need to fucking knock out an incredible emotive masterpiece. She can just do whatever she wants, but especially yeah. six albums in, and there are keepers on this one for sure, but I couldn't it didn't leave an impression. It just it just faded away. It just floated away and it was like when it was done, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I guess I'll go listen to that loathe album I've gone back to from two years ago because I'm enjoying that more at the moment. But yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of there and that's the worst thing music can be, which is not to say that this is bad music because it's not bad music and I'm a huge fan of hers. Uh, like I saw her live twice. Saw her in the Tivoli before it was torn down. It was one of the most stressful shows I've ever seen and it was absolutely beautiful and wonderful and she's such a commanding performer. Was it stressful because they were tearing down the Tivoli just as the show as was, it was happening? Was yeah. It, yeah, no, I, I said it before, one but there was... Show. I think when she performed Nobody, which is an all-timer of a song, I think, she was pacing the stage back and forth and it was like just being present for like the most stressful office meeting of all time or something. Um, saw her at Electric Picnic. She had a hell of a show there as well. Just like her prop was like a table and just the numerous kind of you know gymnastic approaches she could take to it while singing she's a singular talent she's brilliant uh i'm such a fan but i don't think i'm gonna go back to this record too often six out of ten i wish it was better yeah i I landed on a six as well there's some keepers as you say should have been me is a bit like the love cats as well it's great it's a really good song um but yeah i was i was quite disappointed do you think 80s synth pop is killing music Dave because it's just <laughs> everywhere and it's been for such a long time I don't and know it seems like every artist has to have at least one record that goes down that route mm. and it's quite a it's such an inviting sound as well because yeah. if you nail it it's tremendous but you just get this identical stuff I mean it feels very 10 years ago which is an odd thing to say about the 80s but like I, I, I think even in terms of films as well I mean like I think we've been done with with it for some time. But then again, there is a kind of a euphoric response to it when it's done well. And it, it still has its place. But and I don't think I don't think she went too hardcore 80s in this. One. It didn't become too pastiche to me. It just felt like this is a yeah. texture she wanted to explore. And that's fair enough. And in fairness, on a surface level, a track like Love Me More, for example, is extremely enjoyable. But yeah. There's just not a lot of tangibility to it. And that's fine. It's grand. This could be your favourite album of the year. I've no problem with that. And in fact, you could say, Craig, as Dave desperately searches for a link here, it's all about a sense of place, isn't it? There we go. I I did it. Man, you've done so well. (laughs) You've just let yourself down. (laughs) You've let let yourself down. You've let let me down. You've let Matt Busby down. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Busby. That's where I always go to. Yeah, look, listen, I ran down a blind alley, which is kind of a place. Please rescue this, Craig. It's time for the top five. Yeah, it's songs named after places. And as I was saying, it's quite like Ron Seal. Um, I didn't put down too many kind of 
you know, stipulations around it. I mean, internally, I got to a point where I was like, this could be, I could fill five lists. So I just, for my own sanity, ended up going with, well, I also want the song to kind of, I want the kind of the place and location to be somewhat crucial to the actual song itself rather than just having the kind of name in the title. But we didn't stipulate that. That just kind of helps me kind of narrow things down. How did you approach it? Um, I approached it in the sense that I was doing some research and along the way I realised that the best way to tackle this list is to try and apply a sense of time and place, place in particular, of course, in my own life and try and see if there are five songs that I can kind of build a a structure out of and kind of maybe like a formative thing into a thing and reference specific places I've been and how I felt during them. And I've done it, Craig, for the most part. One song is a little bit kind of on the edge here, but I think all of these songs kind of come with a story, a story about specific places in time, places in Dave's life. And maybe, just maybe, Craig, you might be there too. Let's find out. Oh my God, that was very <laughs> Alan Partridge. These are the places of my life. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Clearly something a lot a more. I thought you were going to say something like that. That was very sweet, Dave. No, that was very Alan Partridge of you. Thanks, man. Alan Partridge can be very sweet. On occasion. Right? Why don't you kick us off? On occasion. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I was saying I could have filled, you know, five lists with absolute classics. So um, let's start with a novelty song from 1953. People just liked it better that way Take me back to Constantinople No, you can't go back to Constantinople Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople Why did Constantinople get the works? Yeah, it's the four lads um, As you all know the famous Canadian vocal group, <laughs> the four lads, with Istanbul, not Constantinople. Dave, I feel like we've, maybe not on the show, it hasn't been in any list, but have we talked about this song before and you've been baffled by why I'm into it? I just got that sense as I was picking it, but maybe not. I'm certainly baffled why you're into it right now this second, so let's just stick well, with that good energy. enough for me. Let's keep that energy. I, pl- I play this a lot. This might be my most played song on the, t- on the top five that I have. Wow. It's right up there with, you know, my favourite songs for whatever reason. Because I usually with my top fives, I end up having to come up with a kind of compelling argument for inclusion for at least one of them. Um, I don't really have one for this one. There's just some weird kind of like <laughs> powerful of truths to it. I mean, Hang on, can I ask you, really, can I ask you, can I ask you, yeah. is this is this like a crocodile rock level of I can throw it on for an hour and just lose my mind? I don't throw it on for an hour at a time, but I would say I play it quite frequently. I find it works well as a kind of like a mind cleanser. It's a good reset. I first heard it, I think, watching Craig Ferguson. If people remember Craig Ferguson, who used to host the Late Late Show before James Corden came on and improved us <laughs> tremendously. <laughs> Craig Ferguson was amazing. Like he used to do these kind of cold opens where, you know, it wasn't just your Jay Leno stand up cheesiness. He'd like come out with like shark sock puppets and do jigs to like songs like this. And I think he did one to um, the cover version, which is probably more famous, which is They Might Be Giants did it like years back and sped it up. And I don't like it quite as much, but it kind of got me into it. And yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's 
intentionally or like unintentionally i think it's a great well it's a great like an analogy for change as a song it's like you know nothing is the same we're in an indifferent universe where like all the stars will one day burn out and the flippancy of it and like the smile to like the melody of and like the execution just kind of adds some kind of power to that message as well like it just puts me in a good mood and gives me a sense of perspective and obviously the music being swing it's like already out of fashion it's like a musical equivalent of like you know Shelley's Ozymandias or something like that you know what I mean it's just like (laughs) even Constantinople is gone but it's quite funny and it was yeah for a bit of background this came out in 53 it was written on the 500th anniversary of the fall of constantinople to the ottomans dave as you know of course yeah um (laughs) and it was a it was a response song to a 1928 song called constantinople but all spelled out and i I listened to that this week is this a diss track it kind of is because that song is just like a really like nursery rhyme like here's how you spell constantinople and I guess the title is kind of a flippant take on that. The lyrics were actually written, this was like back in the days where you would have a lyricist as well as like the person that actually came up with the song. Ooh, the decadence um, it of was that. A, I know, right? It was a guy <laughs> called Jimmy Kennedy who was Irish and he also wrote the words to Teddy Bear's Picnic, which is incredible. <laughs> and he also won two Ivor Novello Awards. Yes. So, you know, doing Ireland Proud. My but, God, um, the pedigree here is unbelievable. Yeah, I don't know. I, lo- I love this song. It's just got a weird kind of sway over me. Um, PJ Harvey used it um, as the basis for Let England Shake, I think. It, it actually, it was one of those weird things where it didn't end up being in the song on the album. But she like, remember she performed on like the Andrew Marr show in front of like Gordon Brown and did this like Let England Shake song where she's saying, you know, the country's dead and we're all fucked. And this kind of played in really creepy fashion over it. And it was just like really compelling and haunting. And yeah, I don't know. It does It does something different to me and like... I will still be listening to this for years, I think. It put th- puts things in perspective. And if you let it, it can kind of get under your skin. Yeah, I like how you were like, it's about how the world will burn out one day. And it just puts me in a good mood. That's our eternal optimist, kids. Do you know what I mean? You can do nothing about it. Fucking Constantinople's gone. People have moved on. So none of it really matters. Enjoy yourself. Yeah, the whole punk thing is kicking off. Well, for number five, for me, <laughs> let's get a bit punk. In fact, let's get a bit ska punk. Here's a band making their debut. Probably their only time appearing ever in a top five. But here they are. My number five. Songs by Places. Let's go. Through my haze and ashes. Of course, it's Less Than Jake, and the song is Gainesville Rock City, which I have to imagine, it is of course a reference to their native Gainesville, Florida, have to imagine the Rock City element is a, a sly nod to Kiss and Detroit Rock City, a song Those that legends. I... <laughs> presume that will be number one, right? Well, I'm, I'll spoil it right now and say that uh, I decided against it, having thrown it on. I did think of it, because I, you know, it, it, I felt we needed to bring back a certain segment of the show, and instead I thought, you know what? Two minutes into this song, 
this song fucking sucks. I can't pick Detroit Rock City by Kiss. It's terrible. But I can pick... What a loss. I can pick Gainesville Rock City by Less Than Jake for a couple of reasons. One is, I think it's a beautiful song. I think it's a great pop song. And I love the way it elevates. You heard it there, like, when that kind of second vocal comes in. There's something wonderfully idyllic about it in that kind of Atari's vein as well, where it's like, here are all the American summers I never had, but they were promised to me through the medium of Kerrang! television when I was in Drogheda. This takes me back to being a teenager. It takes me back to watching Kerrang! and getting into that magazine, other magazines that way, getting into bands properly, finally, and then games like, you know, I assume this was in a Tony Hawk game. I think it was in like Dave Mira BMX, possibly. It was in, you know, that kind of culture yeah. that I never fully assimilated into, but like there was a lot of that doing the rounds. And this was just a carefree, light song. And in terms of it being about a place and my own kind of place in the world, finding music around that time and finding any song to cling to like a like like a good friend or a companion was a, it was a big deal for me and i i never fell in love with less than jake i never fell in love with the ska thing but this was always around and it felt like like i say it just felt like a warm kind of hug from somebody there's just something very kind of upbeat about it and kind of hopeful in a way and just like also super throwaway and sometimes music yeah. can be that way i think music can, like can be disposable in a sense but like it doesn't mean that you don't love it and this was just always there. It was just always this kind of comfort thing, which I which I really, really enjoyed. It does remind me of a certain time and place. And yeah, those kind of like getting into secondary school and those kind of groups of friends. And actually, it reminds me of the last week or so just with the, the new Jackass film coming out. Sure. There's been loads of promotional stuff doing rounds. and like, Which I really want to see, by the way. I really want to see it as well. Apparently it's really funny. Apparently it's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so. I just, I've fallen back in love with Jackass. I remembered why they were so great. I was watching old clips and just like, for such a stupid show, um, actually when you, it, I think it holds up and they didn't have some weird toxic masculinity bullshit. Like they were always just kind of funny weirdos. And I think that's kind of rung true. And uh, yeah, it was kind of heartening to see like Steve-O get himself back on track and Johnny Knoxville, I think, is kind of okay, even though he just got gored by a bull. His uh, um, his silver hair is pretty good, isn't he? He looks great. He looks fantastic. Yeah. Suits him. The, the most psychotic one, maybe, was the dude that was like the presenter with the movie star looks. But um, yeah, I want to see that film as well. Uh, this is a good song. You did remind me of the fact that the Ataris you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned Summertime and Nostalgia. You maintain that the, the Ataris version of Boys of Summer is better than the Don Henley version. I'll take that to my grave, yes. I think it's better. I, I love it. I can't be doing with that, dude. I love it's it. a good version, but... And I could have picked an Atari song. I could have picked So Long Astoria here, but I think I picked it before, so I didn't. Or I could have picked San Dimas High School Football Rules. I should have picked that one. It's a great song. The Ataris had some fucking bangers, guys, including their superior cover of Boys of Summer. Listen, I don't want to defend Don Henley, okay? Um, king of divorce corps, but <laughs> agree to disagree on this one. You're probably on the right side of history, as you often are. I'll go to my number four. Thanks. Um, I, I wanted a song, at least one song that kind of uh, musically evoked a place. Do you know what I mean? Just, just had some of the flavour of where that place is and I will actually just go with the proviso that I've never been to this place, actually, so I've no idea if this is an accurate... Uh, evocation of the place but it works for me and here it is Tonight 
Do I get double points for the band also being a place, Dave? Yeah, you do, Craig. But I'm but I'm it's docking a, I'm docking a point because I knew you'd pick this. But go on. Oh man, what? Yeah. How? Because, well, this nearly didn't make it. We'll get into it. We'll like, get into it. Tell tell the listeners who this it's is. Nonce. It's nonce. It's Beirut, um, which is um, the band that Zach Condon formed. It's essentially him. And I think essentially his entire career has been about places, right? It's be, he's, I don't know. He's a bit of a like gap year Sufjan sometimes, I think. Is that a serious backhanded compliment, is it? It's, it's definitely a compliment because I think he he somehow manages to get away with it. Like on the on the surface and if you were just to read about him and particularly around about this time which was like 2007 um, this song featured on the Flying Club Cup and all of the story kind of around him was uh, this was a guy who kind of left school and just travelled around Europe and got inspired and um, then recorded in his bedroom and it just felt very kind of hipsterish but I don't know if it's the voice I don't know if it's the talent it's like there's a sincerity to him just as a guy uh, which might be more skill than substance. I don't think it is, but um, I think it's a combination of the two. He doesn't feel like a poser. The music rings true, and I think it's kind of this song and the entire album is like steeped in the places he actually travelled through. Um, so like every song on this record uh, is trying to evoke uh, a different place. I think a different place in Europe or a different place in France. Um, certainly this kind of works really well. It introduces some kind of old... 1938 film dialogue as well which is like you know it feels like it's in the next room it just kind of brings the atmosphere of the place up a notch and yeah I mean like just having read a lot of his kind of interviews um, most of which was during a, a feverish half an hour period before I interviewed him in front of a, um, a tent of people this is what I wanted to electric picnic this is what yeah, I wanted to bring up bring because this up. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, like I if I may hijack this for just a second I mean, yeah go for it I would associate Beirut with a couple of things and one of which was like like a Monday slot at like 6pm in the sun at Forbidden Fruit in yet another round of Forbidden Fruit not having a definitive identity here's Beirut on the main stage I suppose and people just kind of sitting yeah. around chilling on blankets drinking wine as he was on in the sun and it was quite like a beautiful breather at that festival in that time but the other festival of course as Craig alludes to is Electric Picnic one year when Craig and I were doing interviews all weekend and we were stressed the fuck out and I remember this very vividly because my last interview of the weekend was with Stuart Braithwaite of Mogwai at half six in front of a crowd like you know so it's not just like you're going backstage and having a chat for the magazine it was, yeah. it's public interviews and they were very stressful baying mob baying mob and like the Stuart Brightway interview went okay but he was extremely uh, didn't Stuart Brightway yeah which I, I should have known because I interviewed him before but he's lovely friendly interesting but he was very like not giving me a lot essentially and afterwards he was like that was great and I was like was it but like once I was done because I was done then at like half six seven for the weekend and I was like right I'm yeah. fucking off now <laughs> And I and I I proceeded to just get like tanked. And I remember you were due to interview Zach from Beirut at around half nine or ten. And it was the last one of the entire weekend, the very last was, one in the hot yeah. press tenth. And you were very stressed out about it because I think you were just like, you know, he's got a bit of a reputation of being a bit prickly, maybe possibly. And like you know, well, I did my usual thing of like printing out like insane amount a of bunch paper of interviews from like the last five years, yeah. just so like I could find ways in or just didn't want to be repeating. What other people are kind of got out from yeah um, which is a very admirable was, approach by yeah, the way as i was reading through the stuff everyone was just like zach hates doing press <laughs> notoriously shy and retiring and i'm just like i he probably because of the way you know a hot press operated he, I, he probably isn't even 
aware that he's about to be in front of a full crowd I would bet money on that chatting about his life and his marriage but before that happened minutes beforehand or maybe half an hour beforehand take us through the scene in the kind of media tent thing that you can go to to like you know yeah we finally got access to a media tent that had like some internet Mm -hmm. and journals were working away all weekend and I found myself there um, going through notes and just like as you were saying we were slammed all weekend it had kicked off this is the one by the way that (laughs) has kicked off for me with that interview we keep referencing on the show which was the charlatans which was like my first one where it was a half an hour of them giving monosyllabic answers on a kind of like press conference style table thing as I just like thank god I was prepped for that one I just kept rattling through yeah, questions if I may and I was I, like well that's half an hour I'm done if I now. may give the listeners a visual here because weekend, this yeah. was like around the time when Hot Press were kind of doing this I think maybe like they'd done it for years but for whatever reason the setup was one big long table and you're sitting at the table with the act and like unlike in years to come when they would actually have like chairs and people would be sitting around in kind of a forum kind of setting no this was like Craig sitting at a big long table like he had signed the charlatans for his football team and was (laughs) unveiling them to the public it was so awkward and fucking weird like any interview we did that weekend was done in that way again it looked like I was like announcing Stuart Braithwaite like you know from for hot press like football team as like here he is so that didn't help hot press Moonshin Gladback hot press yeah, the, the 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 mighty men. Um, but like, here's the thing, right? That interview, yeah, they just they they gave you nothing, and that set the tone for the weekend. So at the end of the weekend, you're desperate to get it done. You're worried about the Beirut one because you like the guy as well. You like his music, and you want to have a good interview, a unique interview. And who's sitting beside you, Craig? Yabbering away, well, <laughs> slamming back cans. Well, we go a couple of steps before that and like, so I finally find a window because we've been so slammed that I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to think about what I'm going to ask in this interview now. So I was going through just this these printouts and just kind of scribbling down things just from my own mind. And you entered the tent. And in my mind's eye, I see you skipping in, how, how happy you are, just like floating in <laughs> on a cloud of joy and relief. And Carlsberg. And very different to where I was, yeah. And um yeah, replete with cans, and you sat down beside me and decided to have the chat. But I kept saying, I kept saying, we, <laughs> we did, did it, it, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we did it, man. It's over. We did it, man. You want a can? And you're like, no, man, I'm just going through this thing here. And I was like, yeah, yeah, better off. And I was like, can you believe this weekend? But we did it. We're on the other it's side. <laughs> and you were just like, mm-hmm. And you're, you weren't telling me to fuck off, which was true love. So that's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this was, you know, 30 or 40 seconds to five minutes. But it was grand. And the interview went really well. He was a lovely dude. And um, yeah, it was an interesting one. And he continues to make music in this kind of vein. Like the album that was out around that time was The Riptide, I believe, which was also great. Um, I didn't kind of keep in contact with his recorded work for a while. But didn't we do Gallipoli on the show? Yes, I think we, we did. And I really liked ago, that album. Which was, yeah, and it was him very much going back to this kind of sound and this approach to like taking you on a journey and it just works from it didn't feel like he was repeating himself it just felt like this is the essence of who he is as an artist and um this is the best kind of distillation of that sound i think and it's still yeah it still gets me kind of emotional still holds up and i i love this song it's my number four let's um let's go to my next one which actually weirdly enough is an actor i interviewed at electric picnic the last time electric picnic was on so here we go to 
that's Paris by Friendly Fires. Uh, I've only ever been to Paris once, I think, and it was to see Metallica in 2019, I believe, before it all went wrong. And that was a fun time. And I also interviewed Friendly Fires at Electric Picnic 2019, I think they were there. They were lovely fellows with uh, incredible shirts and an incredible pair of sunglasses. I'm not a sunglasses person, but their front man was rocking one. They're lovely, lovely fellows, as you might expect. This song, however, takes me back to 2008, 2009, uh, and kind of just really getting in. Like, I mentioned before that, like, I was getting into music around, like, you know, with Less Than Jake or whatever, like, you know, the teenage thing and, like, getting into whatever, but, like, around 2008, 2009, Craig, a monster was born. I got into, like, the hype machine. I was going to college. I became super fucking pretentious about music somewhere along that kind of vein. Um, I think that kind of happened in the mid-2000s, but, like, when I was, you know, listening to, like, some emo stuff and some 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 other more kind of experimental stuff like Heizu and that kind of stuff but ultimately around 2008 2009 like I, I I went full bore on the hype machine and on like music blogs and message boards and stuff and I was just you know getting so 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 into it like you know battles and lots of others that I can't think of right now uh it just became like a, there was a real kind of energy and a real kind of charge and I loved a couple of friendly fire songs this being one of them skeleton boy being another um they were kind of the, you know, you mentioned last week that you had um, Hadaway's What Is Love as like a, a pre-drinking kind of anthem to go out before. Like, yeah. This was, uh, Friendly Fires Paris would definitely be, uh, have been on my list. It was on my my Sony MP3 player at the time that I had, which was kind of like, you know, my, my Bible of songs going up to college and back. I absolutely fucking worship the Aeroplane remix of this track as well, which turns it into like a seven and a half minute, very chill dance number. And I think it holds up. I think they're, it's weird. They're clearly a successful band. They've mm. managed to kind of, I think, survive that, you know, kind of, this isn't like, like, what would you call the, like, the late 2000s in terms of British indie and kind of this kind of stuff? It's it's not post-Britpop. It's not quite new rave. It's somewhere in between where bands kind of just, like, had this kind yeah. of space. It was a bit amorphous. I don't, yeah, I don't really know if it was tagged with anything, but I know what you mean. Very enemy-friendly, very kind of skinsy, yeah. whatever the fuck. But it was just also very kind of club-friendly as well. But, like, I think it's just a a flawless pop song. I think it, it, it it's not obnoxious to me. I think it's quite spirited and sincere, and I love it. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, what's your relationship like with France? Can you see yourself... <laughs> Going there, spending more time, revisiting Paris. You feel like, you know, going full, well, not full Jim Morrison. I went to, um, um <laughs> living there for a bit. I went to a music festival for Drowning Sound, I went to, which was in Rennes, I think, back. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it was oh, Transmusical. Um, and it was fun. It was weird. It was a weird festival. And I remember going there and being like, just seeing all kinds of weird shit happening, like Harmar Superstar walking by and like giving me a weird look and just fucking all kinds of other stuff happening. But, uh, you know, it was a who's who, Craig. But, uh, (laughs) I haven't been to France terribly often. Seems like a nice place though. Perhaps I should visit. Yeah, let's both go, shall we? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We, We leave at daybreak. So we better wrap up this episode and I'll go on to my number three. Um, sure, sure. I know for a fact that you don't like this guy, I'm pretty sure. Or you at least dislike his voice immensely. Here we go. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline, Louisiana, Louisiana, 
You, I get that reaction. Go on, Dave. Yeah, gosh, I, I can't imagine why I'm not into this, but continue. <laughs> when you hear Randy Newman, and for that is him, um, I'm guessing all you see is like a dejected Mr. Potato Head or something, right? It's just, you go straight to, you've got a friend in me. I see that I, I see that every day, Craig, you know, but nonetheless, yeah, I do go straight to, you've got a friend in me. Um, I, it's just cartoonish. I just, you know, it, it's like a Sesame Street character. And what's wrong with that? There's <laughs> great pathos and depth in Sesame Street. And in Randy Newman, this is Louisiana 1927. And yeah, I know he's he's got a, he's a very defined um, character, which has become a kind of cartoonish thing and the voice. Yeah, I can see why that might be an obstacle for some people. I think he's tremendous as a songwriter. Um, you know, this was on, I think this was on Good Old Boys, which is a great record. 12 Songs is also amazing. He's got some stuff where I'm just like, oh, he's one of the the absolute greats. And I think he's slightly slept on for reasons of just where he is put in the culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is, yeah, a song about huge flood, uh, Great Mississippi Flood of 1927. Um, I think it displaced something like 700,000 people or just some crazy amount. Uh, it was one of the most devastating floods ever in the history of North America. And I guess even, you know, despite how kind of um, of the moment the song is and how specific in its details and how kind of like long ago this was, it's a song that's remained kind of evergreen. And, you know, it was brought up again um, after Hurricane Katrina. And, you know, he commented on stuff around then. Randy Newman himself, I think he was born in California, but he kind of quite quickly, his family moved to Louisiana and he grew up around there. And he kind of thought there, those were his formative years. So those are his people. And, um, He's talked about how, you know, back in the day, him growing up there, he saw all the horrendous things that went along with life in the South. Um, You know, he talks about seeing signs with, you know, quote unquote, coloured on one side and like white on the other. And he found it very confusing because he was falling in love with all this black music. And of course, New Orleans just invented so much of the music we love today. And yet there was this great... um, I guess, lack of equality and um, systemic, um, I guess, violence placed upon the people there just in terms of, you know, okay, an act of nature happens, but like a flood like this happens. And the story behind it was that the city took it upon themselves to put up kind of certain levees and dikes and stuff that just meant it would flood all the poorest areas. So it affected uh, the poorest worst, of course. So that's kind of what's, you know, what the song is getting to the root of. And it's really simple writing. I think it's really emotive. Uh, they're trying to wash us away. It's just a tremendous, tremendous hook line. Um, and it does get me emotional. Yeah, you see, like, I I do think if people aren't into Randy Newman, and yeah, I know, like, some people won't be able to get around the voice. I think he's got a great voice. But dig into some of those records, 12 songs, um, you know, stuff like Good Old Boys, and, like, there, he's got a song called In Germany Before the War, which is, like, him, he takes on, like, the perspective of, like, a child serial killer, um, a serial killer of children in Germany just prior to World War Two, and it's just, like, he uses that as a metaphor for, like, the horror that's to come, and, like, there's all this, like, very dead-eyed, um, l- lyrics and kind of delivery with this orchestral austerity and, like this lyric of like looking at the river and thinking of the sea and just the horrors of it. And like, if you listen to that song, you will not think of Sesame Street. So maybe that's your way in with the horrors of that song. Um, But there's beauty in this one, uh, Louisiana 1927. And yeah, 
Uh, it's a bit of a masterpiece. And I think he's got many of them. So people should get into Randy Newman, Dave. <laughs> if you if you really think I'm going to take this opportunity to continue stomping all over Randy Newman after the subject matter of the song and the clear poignancy attached to it, you've got another thing coming. I say live and let live. And I, let, I say let Craig have his choice. Uh, I also will say that Zoom being Zoom, there was a key moment there where my audio dropped out and you went from saying... I know people might not get past the voice or and then there was like a weird gap and then it came back on and you literally went serial killer of children and I was like what the (laughs) fuck have I missed here my god when I when I came out with child serial killer I was like that's an odd phrase Let's not linger on it, though. Let's not. Um, good pick, I suppose. Uh, something my list. <laughs> Thanks, man. Something my list also has in common is that I, I've never been to any of the places on it. Uh, for example, this one. Hey kids, it's Bonnie Vare and the song. You, you'd pick him. Did you? The song, the song <laughs> is Calgary. Did you know I'd pick him? Go on. I thought you might include him. Like, in fairness, there's a lot of options when it comes to um, Justin Vernon around this time. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking a lot of place names that are fictional that he just came up with? Wasn't that his kind of? He always has this like naming. Um, I don't know, format or something. Like mm-hmm. with I.I., it was all kind of of a certain ilk. Um, bon Iver, Bon Iver, though. I remember the time that came out and you were just, you fell head over heels in love with it. You saw him live, right? And that was just I like, did, yeah. I mean, I will, say, I will say Calgary, Alberta, Canada is a real place, Craig. And how do I know that? Because it's where Brett the Hitman Hart hails from, who was my favourite wrestler for a few years when I was watching wrestling back in the 90s. Uh, but in the early 10s, ladies and gentlemen, I was in fact working at Hot Press Magazine post-college. And that's the first place I associate this with because... Yeah, I remember very, very vividly like being in that office and very much being excited to be there, not knowing the horrors to come. But nonetheless, it was like, uh, <laughs> but it was you know, you're working meeting me. Yeah, me- yeah when I came back, meeting yeah. uh, who's that handsome boy around the corner? Um, so here's wearing this full suit. So here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there like next to the art department in this kind of back room where they put the interns on a fucking computer from presumably 1979, and essentially. Um, I still felt I felt very like this is where I want to be I'm at a music magazine I'm working in Dublin this is class you know this is what I want to do um, it doesn't matter that I'm not really doing anything yet but like I'm part of it maybe possibly who knows and I don't know anybody and that's kind of scary but I remember very specifically uh, Andrew Duffy Dave Keenan and uh, Graham Kyo in the art department around the corner playing this album to death when it first came out and I also very vividly remember the first time that, it must have been the first time that they played it because when Beth Rest came on at the end of the record, like I think Dave Keane was like, "Don't do it." He was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> like, I love that song. Yeah, but that is most people's first reaction. I adore it. that song. I adore this album, and I associate it with those kind of early days of hot press and just kind of feeling like you know, a new sense of place, a new discovery, somewhere new to maybe try and carve your name in somehow in a way. Um, and I did get to see him play in, with a full band in the Board Gosh Energy Theater. Uh, I think it was still the Grand Canal Theatre at the time. Is that what it was called? And I remember it very vividly because like 
uh, Roshan Dwyer, our commissioning editor of the magazine, wanted a review of, uh, of the gig. And I was like, me, 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 please, please, please. And there was a whole thing on the day where it was like, it's oversold. We have no space whatsoever, not even for journos. Like, it's like it's done. There's, no one's getting into this gig. And then yeah. very late in the day, there was a, we can, yeah, we can make it happen. There's no plus one or whatever, but like, off you go. And I was like, I don't care. And I, I, I went along and I got there. And I remember walking in and being like, class, I'm at fucking Bonnie Ver. This is going to be unbelievable. And, you know, that kind of typical maybe gig thing of like, I was like, oh, I'll order two pints so I won't have to come back. You know, I can just chill up there as the gig is on and, and, and nurse my beers. It'll be fine. And they were like, I literally got the pints and walked away. And then someone was like, oh, you can't bring those into the venue. And I was like, what? So I had to stand in a <laughs> hallway. Them. Yeah. So I'm standing in a hallway and I'm sculling these two pints as like Ed Power walks by and is like, hey, Dave. And I'm just like, oh, man, it's going glug, 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 glug. And I was like, oh, I love it. Like, what the fuck? So, and what, as it turns out, right, they put us in like the balcony, but they had to bring in like a fucking, like a random chair for me to sit on because they were making room for me to be there. And it was like, Jesus, this is awkward. But the gig was unbelievable. Uh, two drummers, full band, incredible. On the second two album. Two pints. Two pints. <laughs> what, what could go wrong? Uh, I loved it. Uh, I love this album. It's probably my favourite Bonnie Bear album and it was certainly at the height of my fascination by him slash the band. I think over the years, like, it's it's waned a bit. I remember reviewing 22 million for, I think it was Drown and Send and I gave it like 9 out of 10. I thought it was fantastic. I barely went near II in 2019. I've barely went back to it. I think yeah. I've kind of, the love affair has kind of gone. Of course, I think we mentioned it on the show before, there was that infamous Forbidden Fruit show where the rain was so horrific that like I left halfway through and I was like, I can't deal with this. This is painful. But I will say, walking out of Kilmainham and walking down the street as like rain, fucking just torrential rain slamming onto the streets, seeing the neon lights reflected in the puddles and hearing Bonnie Vare in the fucking stage behind me as I was walking was kind of perfect. Um, I think this is a fabulous record. I love the song. I love the live performances of it. That was a live one there. I think it's on Colbert possibly. And yeah, and also I've been to Canada, not Calgary, but I've been to Toronto and I loved it and I'd love to go back. And I'd also love to go, but I'd love to go back. It sounds fucked up and weird, but like the classic thing in life of you can never go back, but I wish I could go back 10 years and be in that hot press office once again and just kind of feel the innocence of it all. And plus, Greg, it would mean that I would get to meet you again. And that would be nice oh, to you. What a moment that was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm convinced the place names were like made up on most of the record. Um, did I just imagine that? Or it's like, are he talking interviews about it not really being that Calgary or he was just doing some obfuscation, I think, that he, I don't know, continued with into the other records. Maybe. I don't know. Follow the money, Craig. I'm rambling. Um, 22 million, I think, is the one for me. But anyway, I agree. He's gone down a path that I probably haven't followed too often. My runner-up is um, from an album that's all about South Africa, which is a big hint. And the title track takes its name from a place in Tennessee. Here you go. And is nine years old. He's the child of my first marriage. But I've reason to believe we both will be received in Graceland. back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I'd never noticed yeah, not me picking one of the best songs of all time Did you redo the <laughs> so obvious Did you redo the not me thing? What the fuck? I did. Oh, no. I did. Am I off the podcast? No. Is it over? No, I need you. 
Not me doing that on the podcast. It's <laughs> now you are. Paul Simon. It's Graceland, baby. <laughs> so all is forgiven. And yeah, it's a title track from like his mid-career masterpiece. Um, he'd been going through a divorce. Um, yeah, his marriage to Kerry Fisher, I believe. Um, yeah, that had kind of come apart, it seems. He'd had a whole album um, picking over the bones of that, which was not a commercial success. So he kind of dusted himself off. It was a bit of a crisis point in his career, I think, because he was, you know, past the Simon and Garfunkel um, huge kind of acclaim and popularity and trying to find his voice. So he went to South Africa. I think that the story is he was he was due to work with a younger artist who, like, you know, to produce her debut record. Heidi Berg, I think her name was. And she she sent him like a reference tape of like what she wanted the record to sound like. And it was all like this South African music, which he'd never heard before. And he just kept playing it, like driving around <clears throat> in his car, fell in love with it and was like, yeah, I think I'm going to get into this sound. And I think they had a kind of falling out. But he opted to like just depart for South Africa at a time when came in for a lot of flack for going there. It was during cultural boycott um, over apartheid, of course. And yeah, I mean, can you imagine that happening now if an artist kind of did similar? I mean... There's kind of similar situations, maybe, but just... I don't want to imagine Twitter. <laughs> if an artist of the calibre of... Like, if Taylor Swift... Let's not even get into no, it. No, let's not. But anyway, um, I think maybe it was probably the right move. Like, he'd just been on... He contributed to, like, the We Are The World song. And he'd discussed it over, like, with Quincy Jones and, like, Harry Fonte, And they were like, yeah, you need to go. The South African, like, Black Musicians Union had voted on it. And they were like, yeah, please come and just kind of work. He didn't do gigs. It wasn't anything like that. He was just working with the local musicians that he really loved. And um, seemed to, like, just kind of bounce off brilliantly. And they kind of came back to the States and there was gigs. And just creatively kind of sparked him into action and he ended up with some of his best material I think and this is one of them so this started from like a simple kind of drum pattern um, I think it was Ray Fury who was playing it and he'd found playing with like um, the African musicians that they never really dipped into minor chords uh, the music was just kind of had this inbuilt upbeat quality to it which he found really interesting and when there was playing through this rhythm thing, he was playing with Ray Fury, um, Ray started playing this kind of minor chord relative to what he was doing. And he was like shocked. He's like, what you haven't, I didn't think like you guys kind of went in for that kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, I was just kind of like mimicking what you're doing. And they kind of struck gold, brought in like the pedal steel, which is like really different and works really plaintively and brilliantly on this. And Paul Simon just kept singing Graceland, I'm going to Graceland. And he hated that because he's like, this is not in any way about Tennessee. It's not about Elvis. It's not about Graceland. It's about South Africa. How can I make this work? He couldn't get over the fact that it just seemed to sit so well in the song. So eventually the rest of the song merged where he was like, okay, I need to actually go to Graceland. I've never been. So he drove to Graceland. The song itself made him go there. And he's like, okay, yeah, this works. He'll write the kind of journey of like... The dissolution of his marriage and how you can find find salvation in maybe Elvis Presley, who's this deeply flawed guy, and maybe rock and roll, which is this kind of fucked up thing. And we're all a bit fucked up, but actually, you know, it brings people together. And that worked with the scope of the record. And it's just kind of alchemy. I love this song. I think it's great. I think it's maybe the best thing he ever did. And he's one of the absolute best. So, yeah. Great song, baby. It's my runner up. It's a, it's a very strong runner up. Uh, I'll even forgive the not me thing. Just for you. <laughs> just for you, Craig. Just this one time. Um, I, I was trying to find a link between the next artist and 
the one you've just chosen. I don't know if it's there, so I won't... We'll, we'll see what you think. But what I will say is, like I say, my through line with all these is kind of a sense of place. This is the one that's kind of on the edge a little bit. But maybe it is about a time when I was looking for a place. We'll see. Certainly a song I would have listened to around this time. And it's about a place that you could describe as a, a place where dreams come true, Craig, or a, or a wretched den of iniquity. Here's my number two. couldn't let Zara Hedeman's birthday go by without picking her favourite artist. It is, of course, Father John Misty and the track Hollywood Forever Cemetery Sings. Is it about Hollywood? Is it about that specific cemetery? Is it about just being a strange drifter man? I don't know. You tell me. But all of those things. All those I things. I like that you went with the live version. I did. It's my favourite version. It's too. a great it's version. So yeah. Um, and again, talking about wanting kind of going back to a sense of place, I want to go back to a place where I where I briefly worshipped Father John Misty around the time that I got into him, around the third album, Pure Comedy, and then going back and hearing these incredible tracks that I'd somehow kind of skirted over. I think, like with Bonnie Vera, I think, you know, I've kind of, it's worn off a bit. I wasn't as crazy about the last album. I think you liked it a bit more than I did. He is on the comeback trail, yeah, though. Songs have been... And what I've heard so yeah. far, I'm not sure about. Really? Okay. Because I, I actually haven't listened to the songs yet. So I, I know that they, he's put out a couple of new singles. There is an album coming. Um, Give me your, give me your reading. Um, It's a very definite style. It's very musical, throwbacky, big... Um, I feel like he might have been listening to Randy Newman <laughs> and maybe <laughs> maybe the four lads. <laughs> it's very nostalgic and it uh, the, the few songs I've heard sound kind of good. I don't think it's his thing. This is his thing. This is what I think he does best at that kind of biting, acidic, kind of LSD infused, just kind of raw rock. Like there's, there's a bit of spike to him rather than him just in pure crooner, um, you know, philosophical mode I mean he's still great I think there's kind I of just um, wish he would go back to this there's kind know? of a modern day Lewin Davis to him in the sense that it's like I could imagine him being like getting the shit kicked out of him after a gig I'd say those two yeah. would hate each other though as well of course so you know Lewin Davis fans are hey Father John Misty don't at me um, but essentially yeah like this was when he had power this is when he was caustic enough to kind of earn the swagger I don't think that's fully gone I think you know, I maybe compare him to the weekend in a way where it's like, have you have you said all you can say? Like has this gone as far as it will? Is this is this peak misty, you know, essentially? Is this There was yeah, there was a pitchfork write up that kind of infuriated me a little bit at the start of the year. It was them like it was just the article was one of those like um you know, albums you can expect in 2022 or whatever. And Father John Misty was one of them. And the write-up was kind of tongue-in-cheek. I Like, it was just kind of blurby. But it it kind of said, um, interesting in these times to see Father John Misty coming back. Um, he's managed to avoid cancellation thus far. <laughs> but it was almost setting up like this weird downfall. And like, there was a kernel of something in it where I was just like, do you know what, that character that he was kind of portraying, um, you know, drenched in irony and like pushing people's buttons and lots of kind of, you know, make you think stuff, which I think he does brilliantly, rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I don't know. It feels like even in the time he's been away, two or three years, the 
the conversation and the climate has shifted yet again. And I'm like, how is he going to fit back in? Mm. It'll be interesting. He's been this kind of dead-eyed Lothario. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily gone down the fucking men's rights activist route or anything. And I would like to hope and believe that he's a wholesome individual who doesn't treat women terribly. But I guess people want, almost want that in a way. Almost want for him, like want for his downfall to some degree. Because in fairness, and like I'm, I'm, I realize my words there may carry a lot more uh, fucking strength than I mean for them to but essentially I think if someone does stand up there at the pulpit and is like hello I'm really fucking obnoxious by the way perhaps you can't help but hope for a rug pull at some point Um, I think in terms of his music it hasn't quite happened but I don't think he's operating on at full capacity and hasn't for a while I do want to revisit Pure Comedy though because I did fall in love with that album when I heard it so I hope for the best but yeah. if it's Randy Newman-esque Craig I, I just don't know yeah, I don't think it's his mode. All right, let's go to my number one. Um, so this is another classic. But you know, what? I'm going to go mad obscure for like the next month. I'm just going to get in my hipster bag and... <laughs> but I had to go with this one, right? So, um, Songs About Places, you've got the greatest band of all time, right? You've got like two songwriters that are just at the peak of their powers and you've got maybe their best double A-side single right so the two of them are writing about the places they grew up in which to go with right so like penny lane is fine it's an okay song the choice is clearly strawberry fields forever right well it would be dave (laughs) if it didn't so happen (laughs) to be 1967 the year that an altogether better song about having nostalgia for places in childhood came out this is the song dave this is my number one must you keep rolling See guys, that's what we in the business call a switcheroo that Craig has pulled there. Yeah, it's the Kinks. It's Waterloo Sunset. I think maybe the Kinks at this point are my most selected artists for these top fives. I would have I thought Bowie. Got... I would have thought Bowie or Prince, Ooh. surely. Maybe see, even Bowie the Beatles. and Prince had an early run and then I was just like, I can't keep selecting them, but I keep selecting the Kinks. Uh, I think I picked Lola, right? And I picked, I'm not like everybody else. So this is the third one. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's a tie. Anyway, this is maybe their best song. Maybe one of the best songs, full stop. Waterloo Sunset. Yeah, out in 1967, it was on something else by The Kinks, which was like the first record that Ray Davies also produced, which is just phenomenal as well. You know, his songwriting ability at this time was just incredible. And it feels to me like, He's obviously reaching a point where he's like plowing this very English furrow, which I think he does really delicately and in a kind of non-Brexity way that you can still enjoy. And thankfully, he hasn't gone down that route as an old rocker. He still seems cool as fuck. Um, But also, this is a song just feels like the font from which all like Ray Davies kind of genius stems, because it is about like feeling isolated, um, you know, being an observer that kind of melancholy of feeling like you're missing out, but like picking up on the world going on around you and just, you know, honing in on details and finding something really beautiful in it. So there's been a few kind of like origin stories about this song and, you know, from Ray Davies himself, it's just, I think over decades, just the story keeps changing. 
and some I like better than others. So like some, I'm, some I'm just going to stick to. Like there was a period where he kept saying this was originally called Liverpool Sunset because <laughs> he was like really into Mersey Beat, and he's like, I fell in love with Liverpool. I kind of consider myself an honorary scouser, and I mean, you know, Liverpool lovely place I'm sure but I don't think I'd you know be as into Liverpool sunset European city culture eventually or recently I don't know oh really a fair play a few years ago probably always in you know and you know they gave us the Beatles and Echo and the Bunny Man but the story I do like the most is um, when he talks about his childhood and um, like how it wasn't initially about Waterloo but it became about this place that was really significant in his life because he'd been in St. Thomas's Hospital um, at the time. He, like when he was 13, he had like a tracheotomy. He was seriously ill. And he remembered like the nurses would kind of like wheel him out onto the balcony um, of this hospital and he'd like be overlooking the river. So this was like just him kind of like at a real kind of strange point in his childhood just looking out at the people in the bustle of kind of London and just imagining kind of what life could possibly be and the two characters in the song are people thought they were like uh, actors but actually it's about his sister's kind of generation the sister just above him that like grew up during the second world war and he he's like a really generous dude he's like it's about the world I wanted them to have and just kind of getting over all of this horror and like the potential of these young people falling in love and heading off and he's kind of just there um, observing um, sadly but also just striking absolute gold as well and it's all about the like little falsetto leaps the shalalas are amazing it's great vulnerability in it it's great empathy and a lot of serenity comes from that and it's just like it's immaculate it's kind of pointless me talking about it I feel like a lot of the songs <laughs> I've picked I've just been like here's <laughs> you know here's my lecture on why this is a really good song I think that's called a, really a podcast Craig yeah, yeah maybe maybe people probably come for that reason um, but yeah I mean look you picked a you picked a, a sterling collection this week I think it's fair to say uh, I'll finish off my trip down memory lane will I with my number Let's one so so here's the thing right um, like I say a bit of a through line um, but I'm going to take it back just a little bit I have already referenced the hot press days but I want to go back to a, uh, to a one <laughs> hot press day in particular <laughs> at electric picnic no less um, it's 2014 it's uh, I feel Booker. like I'm Bookaroo I feel like uh, you know the writing's on the wall you know I'm, I'm, I'm I probably know I'm going to quit at the end of 2014 which is what I end up doing and I never went back like De Niro and Heat I was lying there in a bloodied heap with Al Pacino clutching my hand uh, no so um, essentially it was Pacino <laughs> So we're there, and it's uh, it's it's kind of our last lecture picking together properly. And I brought Craig to see the horrors on Sunday night, and they're in a tent and they're class, and it's amazing. But Craig's a bit anxious because he he has an appointment that he can't miss, and I'm and I'm telling him, no, 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 you can't, you can't leave before the horrors are over. They're gonna they're probably gonna finish with like moving further away or something. And Craig's into it, but he's got one eye on the main stage, and the timing just about lines up, and a certain song floats through the breeze. Yeah. And Craig takes off. Craig takes off running like a fucking marathon runner, and I go after him. And together, if I recall correctly, we were we were both there for this. We took in the sights, the sounds, the strains of my number one. Here it is. Yeah. 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 
We spoke about the uh, wonderful spiritual power of Andre 3000 last week on the show. Yeah. So there's a reminder in music and lyrical form. It's Outcast. It's B.O.B., which stands for Bombs Over Baghdad. And it's a five star song. Kind of perfect. Much like Craig. I don't know what else I can add to it. But uh, I didn't even think of this one. I, I feel can't like we believe you didn't think of yeah, this one. Yeah, I think we did it before, did we? Yeah, but it wasn't. I didn't actually pick this song. What what it was was musical duos, I think. So I had mm-hmm. Outcast, and I just played this clip as an example okay. of their unimpeachable brilliance. And yeah, I'm glad you're playing it again. It's just so it's, good. Might be one. It's of, perfect. Might be the best um, hip hop song of all time. I just oh god. It's got everything. That's too big of a claim, <laughs> I think, to close well, out the episode. So, we'll we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Um, wh- okay, I was about to say, what about now? It will never end. But like, seriously, you tailed off like like uh, the fastest man alive. Did I did I catch up with you, or did we not meet until we were getting the bus home? I can't even remember at this stage. I feel like we were there for this. Yeah, I think you arrived slight. Yeah, you. I do. It's all such a blur. Yeah, no, I I remember you being there and it was important. Meanwhile, we didn't catch like the rest of the set. We had to leave. It was just, it was important to have that moment though, I think, just to say we had that moment. In the event, like it just, everything that came out afterwards was just Andre 3000 did not want to be touring full stop. Like that seemed to be a mistake them getting back together because it was kind of just a cash grab. And you can imagine just like, I remember him talking, they had a weird stage setup. There was all like, there was kind of a cage thing going on and, he said that kind of disconnected them even further from the audience. And um, yeah, so it wasn't like you were missing some earth shattering kind of, you know, reunion tour where they really felt connected. But just seeing them do this in the same field was very important. And we managed mm. to make it happen, which is the main thing. But that's like that, that's kind of our, our electric picnic experience always in running the through days. fields. <laughs> Well, that and also yeah. just trying to cap, just trying to like yeah. not trying to capture moments, but trying to snatch a fucking moment and just yeah. trying to be like, get ten minutes to see this band that you desperately want to see, and just hopefully the stress will subside of the day for just That's a couple life, of man. fucking moments. Um, I'm making it sound like we were in the trenches in World War One. We kind of were, <laughs> but generally, uh, we had some good times. Where's and I think song, you know Randy? these songs Where's reflect that song? for me. They reflect formative. <laughs> no please don't they reflect formative times and formative places I think they're also a collection of excellent songs it's a good top five this week I, someone asked me last night they were like why aren't you doing best and worst and I went oh yeah I didn't even think of it stop trying to inflict negativity upon me you know mm, yeah we need but to we'll do worse soon, soon though because it is fun we do enjoy the negativity maybe next week yeah maybe next week we'll see how we go um, in the meantime though someone who gives us nothing but the best and you could never call him the worst his name is Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. He's the best, Craig. We he love is. him. Woo. We love him. We adore him. He's tremendous. <laughs> you can tell I'm wrecked. I'm usually better at those. <laughs> I was just like, he's great. We put in our shift. It's been over 100 minutes, I believe, probably. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, Patreon.com slash noencore if, if you enjoyed even one of these minutes. I don't know. Uh, you can throw us the price of a pint if you'd like to. Uh, we should have a new Nox score coming in a couple of weeks' time. And I guess next week we will decide what we'll do. There is a 20-track Big Thief album Craig which sounds like a lot of work to go into but it got 9.0 on Pitchfork best new music oh, I don't really? know yeah it might be time what else is out maybe it's time yeah we'll we'll figure it out we'll see we'll see we'll we'll have a look and we'll 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 enjoy the the time off 
Um, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm like Al Pacino at the end of Carlito's Way. I'm so tired. You know, it's fucking, uh, it's too much. It's too much. It ended well for him, though. There's been no encore. There will be no encore. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.